This is a horror podcast and contains scenes of violence that some may consider disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. In a time of werewolves, witches, and castles, three young friends live in the shadow of the dark forest. Two will fall in love. The other will go mad. I'm your host, Alan McGill, and this is Red Door, a cry in the moonlight story. Chapter 1. Nobody Looks for the Living Among the Dead. Music carries on cold nights when all else is quiet. A time when people are normally asleep and not much is stirring. The moon high above causes long shadows to form off the buildings on either side of the street. The village empty and void, dark yet bright. A beautiful woman in a long white dress slowly walking down the center of town. A thin strap off her dress falls from her shoulder. She carries a violin in one hand, the bow in the other. Her blonde hair with its spiral curls swaying gently as she moves. On a night when you can see your breath, she should be freezing in her bare feet. She passes a few houses, candles in the windows on either side. They flicker in the dark but the homes are black within. All around the tiny village, tall trees hiding what the moon's light cannot reach, like black curtains covering and comforting yet mysterious. She places the violin under her chin. We can almost see her face, but not quite. She begins to play, her thin fingers pressing the neck of the instrument to produce music. The sound her bow makes as it slides over the strings is haunting and melodic. The music is beautiful as she. You can see the notes drifting through the air. Ribbons of sound led by a treble clef fanning out across the village and moving high in the air through the darkened alleys beyond the shadows and high trees that surround the small town. Her movements silent as the soles of her feet go quietly across the ground. Her toes sinking into the mud. The moon's rays glisten over her skin. Her dress leaving little to the imagination. She moves effortlessly, strolling forward. The haunting sounds matching her steps. The music louder and louder, summoning the flames of candles that appear in the windows. They flicker, matching the speed of her play. As she passes an alley, the home to her right shows movement. Now we can see a man standing in the window. The candle on the sill providing just enough light to see a small portion of his face. He is mesmerized by the sound. A blank stare as he looks out. The house across the street reveals a husband and wife. They stand at the window in their nightgowns, watching. The moon's rays showing their expressionless faces, 
hypnotized by the violin. After she passes, those who come to the windows fade back, no longer seen. Then the candles go out abruptly as the houses go dark. When she approaches a new set of homes, people emerge to witness her performance, and the cycle starts again. They come forward to watch, then disappear, fading away once she has passed. Ahead of her, upon the hillside at the end of town, it is black. Yellow eyes flickering in the night. As she plays, a howl slowly begins from the dark. It rises to meet her music, matching the intensity. The melody runs through your body, causing a shiver of fear and excitement. The woman continues to walk forward with the violin tucked under her chin. Her steps slowing, but her song remains the same. Rosin spills with each step. The wolf's howl slows too, following the pace of her instrument. She moves from one side of the street to the other, crossing through the village as if the sound flows from her soul. The music so powerful it summons nature. Gray vines sprout from the ground along the sides of buildings and along the frames of windows. They climb over the walls of homes. Some vines make their way to the front, wrapping themselves around the posts of the porches. Entire houses are encompassed in the sinister foliage. Red thorns on the vines, sharp and deadly. Poison seeping out of the points. As the music continues, droplets fall, striking the ground. Each hit produces a slight sizzle. The liquid's so deadly, it damages everything it comes in contact with, even the dirt. Her song directing the movement of the vines. The vines begin to stop growing giving way to red and black buds that erupt into beautiful flowers. A sweet aroma fills the air as the petals open, a soothing smell adding to the melodic tones she continues to play. A hand reaches up slowly from behind, trying to grasp her shoulder, the violinist seemingly unaware. She gives no reaction as she continues to draw her bow across the violin the notes seen against the backdrop of the village, the moon's light illuminating her, revealing her, following her. She moves just beyond the reach of the hand that tries to touch her. She never breaks stride or changes the song. She gives no reaction but takes a few steps more. The hand slowly retracts as we move closer to her. Another attempt to touch her the hand comes up again, and again the violinist, just out of reach. She moves down the street and zigs across to one side. A moment later, she zags to the other side, following the tempo of the music. The hand trying to grab her. Suddenly it reaches its target. A firm grip on her shoulder to spin her around. We want to see. Who is this mysterious woman? Why is she playing this strange and haunting song in the middle of the night? As the hand begins to turn her, a woman's scream breaks all the barriers. The night begins to lift as eyes come into focus. What was once night is now daylight shining all around. Allie. 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 Allie.
Allie. Allie. Allie, wake up. Allie, wake up. Wake up, Allie. A man's voice is heard from afar, getting closer and closer until it is fully heard. Allie. Allie, wake up. Wake up, Allie. Seth said, shaking her lightly. She had drifted off to sleep, then awakening as she screamed out. She leapt into him, wrapping her arms around his neck, her chest heaving as she tried to catch her breath. <sighs> hey, hey, it's okay, it's okay, he said, holding her tight. It's just a dream. It's okay, you're safe now. She looked around a bit confused. It must have been some nightmare, he said, brushing the hair out of her face. You were talking in your sleep. What was I saying? Alessandra asked as her breathing returned to normal. Nothing, really. Just repeated no a couple of times. Something about a woman. You kept asking why, and then you jolted up. What was it? I don't know. I don't remember much. She said as she started to stand. Now she was fully awake, realizing it was just a nightmare. As she buttoned her blouse, she took a few steps toward the gate. Seth finished pulling his boots on and fastening his shirt as he walked up behind her. He slowly wrapped his arms around her from behind. You okay? She leaned back, putting her head in his chest. Then she turned to him and smiled. Kissing his lips softly, pulling back and said, I'm always okay when I'm with you. Then she looked out across the cemetery toward the church. The old building in this cemetery were all that is left of a once forgotten village deep in this part of the forest. You ever wonder what happened here? She asked as she began walking from the cemetery. Seth and she were careful not to touch the red and black flowers that covered the gate. It was easy to see there was something strange about them. They knew it from the first time they came upon this place. The flowers were pretty, mostly black with red accents, and the smell was intoxicating. It was sweet and pleasant, but that was the deception. The gray vines that held the beautiful flowers also sprouted sharp red thorns. On the end of these thorns seeped a poison. Blood-red droplets that would drip to the ground. Small acidic circles left behind where they landed the drops burning the dirt as well as any grasses or plants it came in contact with. Remember when we first came here? She asked, looking at the thorns. Yes, of course I do. Two dead highwaymen. Those poisonous thorns stuck in the hand of one. I remember it well. You made me bury them. Seth stopped, then asked, Why? Yes, but the other dead one we found was torn up. Mauled by something, she added. Probably a wolf. We did see some right after we found the bodies. And there had been reports of wolves running through the forest, killing livestock and some even threatening villagers, Seth responded. As she looked at the flowers covering the gate, she remembered the first day. Both her and Seth had grown up in the village of Parlement. They knew the forest well, but neither of them had ever heard of this place before that fateful day. Her, Seth, and William played together for years in these lands. They never came this far from the castle, but William's father owned most of this area of the country, 
yet William did not know this place either. And as far as they knew, he still didn't. William was the Prince of Castle Parlemais, and was set to inherit everything someday. His father, Lord Parlemais, treated Alessandra like a daughter. The three of them were roughly the same age, so they spent their youth together. Neither her nor Seth knew anything about the ruins here. The town of Marcel was the only hidden village anyone ever talked about, and it was a few hours' ride west on the well-traveled forest road. Something about her dreams seemed familiar, and not just the vines and flowers spirited on by the music. This made her quiet and pensive. As she remembered bits and pieces of her dream, she tried to understand its meaning. Her grandmother told her dreams hold a significance in our lives. Learning to interpret them was always a good practice, but fortune tellers weren't really welcomed in Parlemé village. She didn't understand the violinist. It wasn't her. The violinist had blonde hair while hers was auburn. The village wasn't Parlemé, as she would have recognized it. As she looked around the valley they were in, she started to remember the trees in the background of her dream. The village in the dream was surrounded by forests not unlike this one. It was a little hard to tell, as there are many trees in this valley, including the thick pine grove next to the church. But this could be the village in her dream. Except, the only thing here was the church and cemetery. Allie? Allie! Seth calling her name snapped her out of her thoughts. She looked over at him and smiled. You sure you're okay? She nodded, so he continued. So? Why? Why? What? Why did you ask if I remembered when we first came here? And about the dead road agents? She looked back at the flowers covering the iron gate. Do you think these flowers could have killed all the people? She said, looking closely at the poisonous thorns. I don't know. Maybe. Definitely killed the highwayman grabbing the gate. Is that what you're worried about? No, not really. I dreamt of a beautiful woman playing music in a small village. I think it was this village. She explained as she began to walk toward the church. Allie, there's no village here. It's just the church and the cemetery. Not now, silly. But there was once. The church and cemetery weren't put here by themselves. They're all that's left of this forgotten place. She paused to look around the forest before she continued describing her dream. She was playing the violin and walking through the streets. She was dressed in a soft white nightgown. But it was cold out. Not the end of summer like now. It was at night with a full moon overhead. I could hear a howl off in the distance. And these... These flowers were growing as she played like... She was having them consume the town. How did you know it was cold out? In your dream? I could see your breath. Alessandra said, drifting off in thought. What was the song? What? She looked back. The song on the violin. What the woman was playing in the dream. I'm not sure, but I recognized it. I knew it, I mean, I know it. I've heard the song before. She said, looking out over the valley. It was just a dream, Allie. Whatever happened to this place happened a long time ago. I know. 
Maybe we shouldn't come here anymore. It's kind of far from the castle. If anything were to happen. She started, then paused. I think we should have told Lord Parlemay about the highwaymen. I mean, what were they doing here? Who were they? I doubt anybody is looking for them. And nobody is going to look for them here. Nobody looks for the living among the dead. One of the reasons I like coming here with you. The only place we can truly be alone. Remember when you found the shovels in the back of the church? There was a bed in there? Maybe this was their place. What? Like a hideout? Maybe. But nobody used that bed for a long time. And it didn't look like the fireplace was used either. Besides, if this was their place, they would have known about the grey vines and stayed far away from them. And the second guy? Well, who knows what killed him. He was in pretty bad shape. We're just assuming it was an animal attack. Could have been a fight. I don't think telling Lord Parlamade's a good idea. We'd have to discuss what happened in Mercel. That was almost a year ago. Lord Parlamade's going to want to know why we waited a year to tell him. I don't think he'll like that. Seth paused as he looked around. Look, I know we don't get to come out here that often, but we haven't seen anybody around here since that time. Maybe when William gets back from his hunting trip, we can talk to him about it and see what he thinks. You know, once we tell everyone, everyone will know it's here. It's the only place, the only real place that I get to be alone with you. Nobody can find us when we're here. We didn't kill those men, or anybody else. Well, other than, you know. They're laid to rest in a proper cemetery. There hasn't been anything going on here since that day. Wolves from time to time, but even they stay away from the flowers. We just have to be careful not to touch them. Alessandra smiled at him as her wit returned. But you love the smell of those flowers, remember? She teased, pulling him close. Yes, I do. He said, kissing her again. This time longer and with more passion. Although she didn't want to, she pulled back. We'd better get going. I have to be back before dark or my dad will have a cow. Seth smiled and said, Want to stay a little bit longer? Once more before we leave? Seth gave a small grin. He loved her and always wanted to be with her. You know what the smell of those flowers does to me. I can smell them after we've been here a while. I love how the aroma attaches to you. It's the only good thing about going home. At least I get to smell it in your hair as we're riding. She giggled again, slapping him playfully on the chest. Stop! I meant riding home. But you're right. We should get back. I don't want your father getting upset and hunting me down. No need to cause a stir. Seth finished as he untied Boggs, his giant draft horse. He cupped his hands together for her to use as a step. Besides, I don't think he likes me very much. He said as she swung her leg over the giant horse. He likes you just fine. He's just very protective of me. He grabbed a handful of the big horse's mane and pulled. A small click of his cheek to tell the gentle giant to start home. She laid her head on his shoulder, holding on tight. There wasn't any worry about falling off. 
The horse didn't move that quick, and its back was very wide. She just liked being close to him one more time. The ride home was always bittersweet for her, too. She got to hold on tight, but it was the end of a magical time. She looked over her shoulder at the abandoned church as they trotted up the hill. Thanks to her dream, she could see the village more clearly now. At least, what was once a village. Despite the trees and overgrowth that hid where the old buildings had been, from this viewpoint it all became clear. She thought about the dream the whole way home. The sound of Seth's heartbeat seemed to go along with what she remembered of the song the violinist had been playing. Flashes in her mind as she couldn't exactly remember the end. She could see her hand pulling the violinist spinning her around, but couldn't see the face. Then again, maybe it wasn't her hand she saw. Perhaps it was someone else's hand, and this vision was just a way for her to witness something else. But what? The dream seemed both wicked and beautiful at the same time. The old village in her dream reminded her of their first kiss. It all started as she had gone with Seth and William on an unexpected adventure. She always rode with Seth because his horse was so big. William's horse was leaner and faster, just like the guard horses. And William liked to show off, so he raced everywhere, which made riding with him uncomfortable. Lord Parlamay had asked William to go with some of the guards to Port Calibre and meet a shipment coming in. As the three of them started to get older, Lord Parlamay began placing more responsibilities on William. The time of their wasting days fishing and playing had come to an end. Life was becoming more than swimming in the summer and gathering wood for the winter. Well, she and Seth gathered wood. William did very little. But the lord of the manor wanted his son to take life a little more seriously. Almost a year ago from today, William came by her house early in the morning. A troop of castle guards were slowly riding through the village escorting some wagons. They were on their way to Port Calibre. Lord Parlamay tasked them with escorting a shipment of goods which had arrived by boat a few days before. Her father always greeted William with a big smile, so when he knocked at the door, it was a welcome sight. Well, good morning, sire. What can I do for you? Care for a warm beverage? Perhaps some breakfast? No, no. Thank you. I'm just here to see Alessandra. Of course, of course. Let me get her. Her father replied before turning to call inside. Alessandra! Could you come here, daughter? Alessandra, come here, daughter! Yes, Papa! She yelled as she was coming through the house. When she saw William standing at the door, she smiled, greeting him. Father has asked me to see to a shipment coming from the port. I thought you might like to come along. William exaggerated his father's instructions. Lord Parlamay merely told his son to accompany the guards, so William could learn more of the duties that were often required. Lord Parlamay would never trust such an important mission to William. A powerful relic was expected within the shipment. A boat dealing in black market items had come across something very special. This item had been intercepted on its way to Rome. Some of Lord Parlamay's road agents had been dispatched to retrieve the item, but they disappeared. 
Lord Parlamay hadn't even told William about the item or its importance. Despite the disappearance of his men, he felt sending his son would be less suspicious to anyone who may have learned of such things. Nobody would believe the Lord would send his son on anything of importance, and Lord Parlamay did not know his men died. To him, it was the perfect camouflage. William was not very well respected. He was viewed as a bumbler of sorts. Nobody challenged him because of his father, but William did not know this. In his mind, he was both suave and feared. Well, that sounds important. And your father put you in charge of getting this shipment back? She asked skeptically. Alessandra, I am sure the young master is quite capable of handling such an important task, whatever it might be. Or Lord Parlamay would never have entrusted him with it, or allowed him to request his friends to join, her father said. William had no self-reflection, but she knew how Lord Parlamay regarded him, and she was naturally skeptical at William's description of his duties. Regardless, they were still friends, and she was all too happy to go on this adventure. Does that mean I can go, Papa? Of course, daughter. Be home by sundown. Much to do yet this year, her father said with a smile. You'll take good care of her, young master. Have her back by dark. William nodded. Yes, sir. I surely will. Alessandra stepped out, shutting the door behind her. Is Seth coming? William shrugged, ignoring the question. He had no intention of inviting Seth. He was still friends with Seth, but this was his chance to be alone with her. She never noticed the way he began looking at her. William had developed feelings for Alessandra that went beyond friendship. These were strong emotions. Unfortunately for him, they only flowed one way. His father noticed it. That was another reason William was being given more assignments away. Lord Parlamay loved Alessandra. She was the daughter he dreamed of, but she was not suitable for William. Parlamay needed to turn William's attention to others with a more appropriate lineage if he was to marry. Lord Parlamay did not realize it was too late. I'm not sure where Seth is. I haven't seen him. I don't have time to look for him this morning. We must stay with the wagons. You still want to come, don't you? She nodded yes, although visibly disappointed Seth would not be coming. She took his hand as he pulled her up behind him. She didn't like riding with William, but if she wanted to go, there wasn't much choice. Aside from his constant attempts to prove his masculinity by riding fast, she wasn't comfortable holding on to him. They were friends for years, but her feelings did not progress like his. William was handsome and well-built, and most women would kill to be with him. And there were rumors some may have. Anyone bearing his child might enjoy a much easier life. Alessandra did not believe the rumors of William sleeping with some of the wives in the village. However, they were not just rumors, even if she didn't know it. William had many affairs, and not just with villagers. The wives and daughters of traveling dignitaries were known to receive a late-night call from him, but none of them captured his heart like Alessandra. They were just objects to be conquered and satisfy his lustful ways, and none were as beautiful as she. There was nobody in the entire valley pretty as her, nor was there anyone as sweet and kind with a strong work ethic. She was the perfect bride, 
someone to take care of his every needs. And while she didn't know it, William intended to marry her. William suspected his father did not approve of his desire to marry Alessandra, which confused him. Lord Parlamay seemed close to her family, at least as close as a lord and his subjects could be. He often saw Lord Parlamay speaking with Alessandra's grandmother while her father was in the fields. Lord Parlamay even invited her grandmother to be his official tailor. He seemed hurt when she turned down the offer, citing she wished to stay closer to family. William was feeling good about today despite the issues with his father. He hadn't told Lord Parlamay he intended to take Alessandra with him. He knew his dad would somehow ruin his plans and this seemed like an opportunity to spend plenty of alone time with her. But as they were just about out of town, Seth was watering his draft horse at the end of the village. Alessandra immediately started waving to him. Seth! Seth! She called out. Seth turned to see her riding with William, and the look on William's face was not a good one. Seth recognized it right away. William often had that look when he was getting angry but trying to hide it. Sometimes that expression would cross his face just before he shot something. It was subtle and devious, but with an evil grin. Very few people ever noticed it. Alessandra didn't see it. She hadn't learned to recognize those little things in people yet. She didn't even see the way William had been looking at her. Maybe that was because she had fallen in love with Seth. She may have not recognized William's glances, but she noticed everything about Seth. All his micro-expressions captured in her brain. She didn't know how to interpret most of them, but she did pick them up. And now, it seemed like something was off, even if Seth had a big smile and waved back. It wasn't the hearty, happy wave she was used to seeing. Or was he jealous at her being on William's horse? She liked that thought. William, on the other hand, didn't like any of it, but he didn't have much choice. He stopped when they reached Seth and was surprised when she slid off his horse. Alessandra had a bounce in her step as she walked up to Seth. Lord Parlamay has put William on an important mission. Come with us, she said. Seth looked up at William, whose expression had changed. He didn't look as upset as he did when he first saw Seth. The last thing he wanted was for her to see a darker side of himself. Yes, grab your things and come along. Unless you have chores to do or something? Come on! You can catch up with things later. It'll be fun, eh? Uh, the three of us haven't been on an adventure in a while. William remarked. Seth looked at him skeptically. His face was friendlier, but Seth had known William his whole life. He suspected William did not want him to go despite the insistence. I probably shouldn't. Seth no sooner got the words out than Alessandra started pouting. Her back was to William, which meant he couldn't see her face, and that was fortunate for Seth. If he had seen the look in her eyes when she saw Seth, it may have been more than he could handle. Seth looked back at the fields, then patted his big horse's neck. Okay, I guess it wouldn't hurt anything. Whether William wanted him to go or not, Seth liked being around Alessandra. Should I get my musket? You won't need it. The castle guards will be coming with us. Besides, we don't have time. We need to catch up to them. Alessandra squealed in excitement. <laughs> she looked back at William. 
I'll ride on Boggs. There isn't enough room on yours. She turned to Seth impatiently, waiting for him to help her up on the big horse. Neither Alessandra nor Seth knew it, but that was the moment when it all started. The smallest spark sometimes causes the biggest fire. Two were lit that day. It was the exact place and time when Seth fell in love with Alessandra de Moreau. It was also when William Parlamé began to hate them both. Her intention wasn't to reject William or hurt his feelings. He had been generous to both she and Seth, and they were all friends. Yet, there was something about him that kept her from being attracted to him in that romantic way. Besides, she had already fallen for Seth. William showed no signs of jealousy or animosity. He led them out of the village at a hurried pace to catch up with the wagons. The guards were moving slow, but his stopping to fetch Alessandra put him behind schedule. They crossed the big field, stopping only once for a herd of goats, making their way to the southwest pasture to graze. They liked to gobble up the morning dew still on the grasses there. Alessandra was wide-eyed as she looked around. She held on to Seth a little tighter. Maybe it was the excitement of a new adventure. She had ridden with him many times, but something about this day was different. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Red Door, A Cry in the Moonslide Story. The first two episodes are free. If you want to know what happens to Alessandra, Seth, and William, you can purchase the remaining episodes on Podbean Premium. Just go to the search bar in Podbean, type in A Cry in the Moonslide, and you will see the show's icon with a P for Premium on the corner. Click on Buy Now so you don't miss the werewolf, all the action in Marcel, or the terror of the Dark Forest in the upcoming episodes. Look for the Red Door cover, a ghost playing the violin behind the Red Door gates with a black werewolf in the background. This artwork is inspired by Alessandra's dreams, but it means so much more. And once you listen to all the chapters, you'll get a better understanding of the artwork. You can also purchase the books of A Cry in the Moon's Light series Red Door, A Cry in the Moon's Light Story, Book One, A Cry in the Moon's Light, and Father Daniel's Compendium of the Undead. And there is a special edition coming soon which contains chapters from Book Two, The Undead Wars. They can all be found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most places where books are sold. Another way you can support the show is to become a patron support right here on Podbean. Monthly donations will be used to produce Book 2, The Undead Wars, and Book 3, The Witch King, where news and information on the world of A Cry in the Moon's Light. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram at alanmcgill14. That's alanmcgill14. Until next time, remember, only love defeats evil, but it might be wise to carry silver anyway.